Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Hi, this is Michael Waits from ATP Angels. I'm talking to Marcus Ellison, who's the founder and CEO of VentureMark. You're in Ho Chi Minh in Saigon, yeah? Yes, absolutely. So why don't you, why don't you tell me mm-hmm. like how we got here? Because you're not Vietnamese. You weren't born and raised in Vietnam. Yeah, yeah. So um, give me a little bit of a backstory. So it's it's a bit – there's a bit of like a long journey there. Go um, for it. I grew up in like a, a small town in Maine, and um, and uh, so I grew up. My dad was um, an entrepreneur, but he actually like never told me uh, what he did. So so my, my entire childhood, I was actually just thinking about like what you know what does uh, what does this guy I admire do? I knew it was something that has to do with entrepreneurship, and so um, once I graduated from high school, I'm you know I. I started going to school in New York, but it became the kind of like kind of the foundation for how I wanted to spend my time in, in school and career to actually um, figure out like what it is about, like what is entrepreneurship? How can I, how can I be an entrepreneur? So um, in college, I actually, that's, that's when I started um, my first, uh, my first companies. So um, for a lot of people, they, get to college and they know exactly what they want to do. The, right. Their parents or some, someone in their community actually told them for me, my, my parents actually uh, didn't give me any guidance whatsoever. So it made me think about life as um, kind of like a system to figure out, you know, like what, how do you discover what it is, is the right thing to do. And so for me, this um, started to make me think in terms of uh, experiments so, um, so, and I, and I looked at school as just kind of like the beginning that once you get to college, um, you know, and, uh, all of, all of the things that, um, people may say they may or may not be correct. So, uh, for me, this meant like, um, actually trying out careers and then, and then, um, what that ended up turning into is actually being an entrepreneur. So, uh, take a step back for a second. Like if you look at my college education, uh, you see it's actually a bit curious because I don't have a major like most people have. I actually created my own major and, um, it's because I want to, if I could, I want to create kind of like the perfect, um, entrepreneurship education. So, uh, so in college, uh, I went to New York university, uh, in, in New York city and um, the first startup I started building uh, was an internet radio station. And uh, we were able to uh, get about a million monthly active users for uh, that startup. Uh, and um, why, why internet radio? What was the idea? Like, what were you thinking? Presumably you had no experience in radio per se, but something must have sort of piqued I mean, your interest there. I mean, for me, I... Uh, I grew up and I, um, actually I, I, I played music. I played the trombone, uh, in a jazz band. And so I, and I was, I was somewhat fascinated by, um, the idea of, of broadcasting and the, the NYU as a school, um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with it, but it's, it's one of the top art schools in the U S and, um, for me, uh, I wanted to have like a balance between, Kind of like like uh, like communication, uh, arts, writing, uh, and then also with 
with um, with being in the center of, of business in, in New York. And so, um, so for me, part of it was just like there are some traces of what I was already familiar with, and then there's also uh, there's also just like uh, the idea of like well, the world is changing. I mean, uh, for me, I grew up downloading music on like uh, Napster, and then. Um, you know, once I, uh, graduated from high school in, in 2003, it's like the music industry was changing and everyone was sort of like asking like, what's, what's happening with this. So for me, it was, it was actually just, uh, it, it was looking to tackle like a really big idea in this space. And honestly, you know, we didn't really know what we were doing back then. We, uh, the radio station itself was really just, um, playing a few songs, uh, you know, and, and resetting the playlist each day. And, uh, and then we end up getting uh, a lot of users in, um, in Latin America specifically just because of the, the name of the, the internet radio station was jazz daily in, in Spanish. So what was the name then? <laughs> uh, uh, jazz. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no one's going to test you probably speak Spanish but no one's going to test you on it <laughs> but like um, but so it was interesting for me this was this was like one of uh, a few different um, entrepreneurial ventures that I did during school uh, also what I did was I uh, worked with a real estate developer in New York City and uh, we were I was working to build real estate syndicates and my Entry into that was uh, it's just very much hustler. I uh, I didn't have any relationships, knowledge, experience, uh, uh, money going into it. So for me, it was actually how do you start to leverage opportunity? Um, and I guess this, in a way, this is this could be uh, one inspiration for what Venturemark um, is is right now because. Uh, in creating a syndicate, what you're doing is you're you're leveraging other resources around you right. to, you know, to make better decisions to uh, to actually be able to capitalize on opportunity. And there was, in particular, when I was in school, there was uh, one guy that I met. Um, his name is Victor Politis, and he was um, a specialist in uh, he he had worked in project finance. So he'd done a lot of real estate deals in, in like the eighties and, um, in Harlem, uh, kind of like rejuvenating the neighborhood. And then uh, at the time I met him, he was, you know, he had gone into Africa and he was, uh, building, um, project finance deals there where he would, uh, work to build sort of infrastructure, like land infrastructure. And the one thing that he told me that kind of changed the way I thought was he said that there's, uh, there's money out there for any opportunity if you properly develop the merit. Uh, as in, like, uh, for me, it changed my thinking because I didn't really understand how how it was that uh, projects got funded. Uh, but what he pointed out was that projects get funded. Uh, be you know, it's uh, there's always more money out there than there are sort of great opportunities. So it's part of it is about developing the merit. So um, I started working to. Uh, create that. So the uh, the real estate syndicates. Uh, my journey there was uh, I started to you know just network, talk to everyone that I could, uh, real estate investment bankers, uh, real estate hedge fund guys, uh, real estate developers, brokers, 
And I was naive. <laughs> but what does that mean in yeah. the sense that you just call them? How do you get in touch with them? Like I have a strategy for this as well, but I'm curious what you do because you're still in college, right, at the time? This, at this time, I'm still You don't in know college. anything. You don't know anybody. And I'm building a, a story here, right, because I, I have a way that I think this is going to go. But you don't know anybody. You don't know anything really. You're just like, this is a good idea. I have a little bit of mentorship through Victor. Did I get his name right? Uh, Victor Politis. Victor yeah. Politis, right. So maybe a little bit of guidance there, but the biggest guidance there is, you know, there's money for this opportunity if you can develop the merit, which is a phrase I really like, actually. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, I'm just going to go hustle this. I think it's a metaphor, right? But I want to go through this. Like, you want to meet somebody who's a real estate developer. You're just a kid from Maine in New York. So how yeah. do you get those connections? What are you doing? Well, it's honestly, it's uh, you have to build trust and you have to you have to put in hard work. I specifically what happened, um, I was in a travel writing class and, uh, and I was, they went around the class and they said, what, what do you guys want to be? And, you know, I told them I wanted to do something in um, investing and, you know, the teacher made fun of me and, <laughs> and, and, uh, cause everyone else there, their answer was, I want to be a trial writer. I, I want to work as, you know, entertainment. And, um, but there was one, one, uh, woman that came up to me after the class and she said, well, my father's a real estate developer. Got it, right. So there's always, but this is the way it works, right? Like, yeah. sorry, I'm just going to interrupt you for a second, but this is what, <laughs> this, no, but this is, and I feel like we're going to keep doing this to each other, but this is what I found over time, right? It's like, if you just state clearly what you want to do over time, mm -hmm. people will come and, and you're honest about it, right? And like you said, you're, you know, you build some trust. People will come over and go, Hey, you know, Marcus, my sister's cousin's you know, relative is in the real estate business. You're just a good kid. Let me introduce you to them and see if they can do anything. I make no promises. They may not even talk to you, but let me make that introduction. You're like, sure. Yep. And, and, and so, but, and then there's, there's another moment though. I mean, when, when I actually met with her father who, uh, I had no idea, but one of the most prominent real estate developers in, in New York <laughs> and, and partner and his partner is, you know, like a, a German billionaire, developer globally um famous, i mean they're, they're doing stuff like like paying you know 300 million dollars in cash um it building you know spec office but so they're they're doing like really amazing stuff when i met with him he actually there was a test that he gave me and i didn't realize that i passed it um right and and what the test was was he said said oh um i hear you're interested in in real estate do you want a job and I said, I said, no, I don't want a job. I want to be you. And that actually changed the way that uh, he he interacted with me. Because, right, because yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Because because then if if I had said that I want a job, then you know he would have been like, okay, great. Um, what do interns do in college? They, I don't know. You, you <laughs> go like uh, get me some coffee or right, you know right. some papers. Because I said I want to be him, he said, "Wow, okay, well maybe, okay, well what would I want, you know, if I were your age? What what would be the best experience for that?" And um, and it, it's a lot harder though because it means that um, I'm not getting paid for anything. I I'm investing my time to work hard and to uh, to to nurture myself, and um, and so it's it's like. It's just a completely different path. It's it's actually kind of it's saying that what's more important than getting a paycheck 
is actually the learning that I can get from this experience. Sure, sure. I mean, there's a way to extract value beyond yeah. money, right? And I was going to ask you, but it's none of my business. Like, what do you get paid to run VentureMark? It's probably not that much, right? No, I mean, and it's none of my business. I don't. You, I don't want you to answer it, but but you probably get paid very little. But the point is that that's not the point today. The point is to learn and meet and to create, you know, a syndicate of all the things you want to do. We'll get to that later too, but. Yeah. People should understand that, right? And you, remember, you're not working for free. No. At all, no. actually. You're, cause it's, that metric's just completely different. Well, th this is the thing, and I think people have very formative experiences that hopefully determine how they think about life. It, hopefully they have some understanding that, uh, of what makes them happy. For me, I, I actually kind of figured it out earlier and, and my experience in, in college led me to uh, I you know I turned down uh, jobs on Wall Street and jobs at big consulting firms specifically because I wanted to work at an intersection of what I was really really passionate about and and what I what I think could make a big impact right uh, on the world and um, and so I, I think like and I'm you know I, I think it's totally we all have different paths to that discovery, but hopefully, hopefully at some point you get there. Uh, so, uh, so in college, you know, I spent a lot of my time, uh, I mean, you could say like hustling, but, uh, I was, I was working, uh, to get like a different kind of education that was, that was in college. I was, I wanted to understand entrepreneurship as a system. I wanted to understand, uh, how it is that, you know what? What is what is credibility? Uh, I want to build trust and um, you know make it so that I I would be someone that uh, that would able be able to do stuff that was very impactful. Uh, so after after college, um, I the next startup I started was uh, it was like a payments and agreement startup, and this this got me deeper into tech. Uh, through this startup, uh, I. Uh, became a full stack engineer, so I worked in uh, you know I did front end development and then I also did um, uh, you know back end development uh, across a, a few different languages. Uh, this led me into uh, more programming, uh, doing doing some freelancing. Then eventually I I came to San Francisco, and I I think. San Francisco is a very kind of unique ecosystem. Uh, I was, uh, my introduction to San Francisco was, was maybe like a little bit different than uh, other folks because I have, I have an identical twin brother and, uh, he, he went to San Francisco, uh, through Y Combinator and he's, he's actually a, a co-founder of, uh, what's now like a, a unicorn startup, um, uh, and, well, you've brought it up, so you kind of yeah. you kind of have to say what it is, don't you? Oh, oh yeah. So, um, so he he went through Y Combinator for um, the startup was originally called Class Metric, and he he worked with a few uh, folks from uh, some students from MIT. That startup pivoted to become Segment uh, dot com. So they are uh, last I checked, they're valued at um, around uh, six hundred million dollars and. To eight uh, x by 2020, so so pretty pretty substantial. 
Um, but so, so coming into San Francisco, there's, uh, I, I think one key there is, is, you know, um, being a part of like, uh, the right networks. And so, so when I'm, when I'm there, it's like, he's, you know, I have an extended network through there, but, um, when I was in San Francisco, I, I started working with a, um, ed tech startup. Uh, the reason why this matters is this is, this is what led me to Vietnam. So I was working for, uh, for a startup and we were training engineers at, uh, places like Facebook, Airbnb, uh, Google. It was, is very unique because, you know, you have all these coding boot camps, but you don't have, um, uh, programs that are catering to professional engineers because right. the, bar, the bar is so high to teach world-class people, like people that are already, they're already great. So, um, but, uh, so I, I was, I was working there and, um, and a lot of my time was spent actually working, um, with engineers at Walmart and a colleague of mine, that was also working um, with Walmart. He made a trip to Vietnam, and he said, "Hey, like, let's, you know, uh, why don't you come visit me?" And for me, like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very much an entrepreneur. I'm going to spend. Uh, I I want to be an entrepreneur for for just you know the rest of my life, and uh, and so I, I I was actually thinking about like I was almost methodically thinking about people that I wanted to co-found the company with, because for me, I think, uh, I think team and who you work with is, is one of the, the most foundational pieces to how great you can become. And I went on this trip to Vietnam to visit him. When I got off the plane, he gave me business cards, uh, you know, that were like co-founder of coder school. And so it's kind of like we had we had like this the same kind of idea. <laughs> the same idea. He was like, he was yeah. ready for you already. Yeah, he was ready. But the thing is, I w- I was actually going to try to convince him to come back to San Francisco, and then he ended up convincing me to stay in Vietnam. And the convincing there was just that uh, one thing that I had been curious about when I was in the U.S. was the opportunity to impact the billions of people not in, you know, the bubble of, uh, of, of the U S or in Silicon Valley, like in, in like the emerging world. And, uh, with coder school, uh, which, which is the, the, the startup that we co-founded, um, there, it, it was like a window into that opportunity and, and being in Vietnam was just a completely unique experience that you have in, in the U S and in many developed countries, there's, there can be this air of, uh, pessim- pessimism or of struggle and, um, and it, hope as well, of course, in many, many places, but it's not the same as a, as a country like Vietnam where, you know, 20 plus years ago, they were, the, the population was starving and then they've had, you know, consecutive years of, of, of growth and improvement where, you know, the average, actually average livelihood has increased and where there's so much opportunity to uh, build really great things. And I I think this is something that uh, a lot of entrepreneurs and, and also investors see that there's this raw kind of opportunity throughout Southeast Asia. Well, I mean, it's just greenfields everywhere, right? I mean, I'm just going to put a fine point on it, but if you're sitting in California, if you're sitting in New York, if you're sitting in Chicago, frankly, if you're sitting in Sweden, 
even if you're sitting in South Africa or at other hotbeds of entrepreneurial activity, pick one. I don't really care. <clears throat> even if you're in China, it's just there's so much stuff that's been done already. And yet in Southeast Asia, there's never been a better time. I, this is my phrase, right? There's never been a better time to be Thai. There's never been a better time to be Vietnamese. If you think about it, at least this century or even before, there's never been a better time to be from the Philippines because if you think about what it was like before you were born, right? When I was a kid, it was just so hard to be a regular Filipina or Filipino. Yeah. And yet now the internet, the blockchain, all these things that give you know free flow or as, as free as it can be of yeah. information and of data and of technology and just the dropping cost of all that stuff means you have an idea now. Like the smartest person in the world can literally be living under a stone somewhere and we don't know it yet, but now we can find out in the old days that wasn't possible. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, and so for me, I was just ridiculously excited. I mean, I get, I get excited easily about great ideas and, uh, and, and building things that are very valuable, but being in Vietnam, you know, just kind of opened my eyes. But, and so I started with, uh, we started with coder school uh, what, uh, I ended up leaving coder school and, uh, it was that basically what happened was we originally, we copied the business model that we, you know, that, uh, code path in, in San Francisco, the startup where we work that, that they were using. And me and my co-founders sort of disagreed on which direction to take it. And, uh, and then for me, I, I, you know, I decided I wanted to go and focus on uh, building startups. So uh, that led to um, where, really, where the the incubation of of VentureMark started, which was HackerFleet. And this kind, and, of, this kind of, if you don't mind me saying, right? And you said this before we started recording. You and I have never met in person, but we've spoken a few times. And I think that concept of like building an incubator, an accelerator, call it what you will, but hacker fleet, right? It just fits into your personality, right? Like constantly curious, constantly trying to learn and trying to be at that intersection of sort of artful design and yet building a big business, right? There's so many things there to unpack, but that seems like one of the perfect places for you. Yeah, absolutely. It was, um, it was taking a lot of the pieces. This is actually what I, what I aim to do in my life is, is take all the pieces that, have been beneficial and, and mold them into what the new opportunities are. And right, hacker, right. hacker fleet, we would define it as a startup builder. So, uh, this was, uh, through the school, we, you know, I have a fairly, and through the other engineering schools, I actually have a fairly, like really, really deep network of, uh, engineers, uh, of talent, you know, there's folks and folks throughout Vietnam, folks in, uh, in California and, and then I saw an opportunity, right? There's green fields all around. Uh, but I knew I had product experience coming from, uh, the States as, as well. And so to me, it seemed like there's a u- unique opportunity to work on some of the most challenging product and technical challenges that folks had around the region and, and, and also, uh, around the world. So this started off, right, startup builder. Uh, we want to work with the best people. Uh, for me, it's actually extremely important to, uh, to drive towards whatever that highest benchmark or standard is, uh, and, and to define it. You know, if, 
if, if possible. And so we, uh, uh, we started working with a, a few entrepreneurs, uh, in, in the region who I can't mention, but, uh, <laughs> uh, a, a few, well, it's, you Come know, it's like, it, it's like, uh, someone raises money and then, uh, they're, they're, or if they're in the, they're in the process of fundraising, they don't want their investors to know that uh, they're outsourcing, you know, their hard product and tech challenges. <laughs> so, so um, sure. <laughs> so, um, so, so there is some of that, and then we, you know, we all also um, we're working with startups in the valley, also. Uh, so, um, one one company that we've been working with for for uh some time is uh you know they're interested in building the future of social mobile gaming and uh the reason why i mention this particularly is because when we talk about high standards i think it's fantastically important for the region to focus on being really really great at something like being world class so it's it's it can't be that um we build great products for uh, Thailand, or we build great products for Vietnam. Uh, it, it needs to be we build great products, and we happen to be in these places. So, um, so the technology is actually very, very, very difficult. You know, it's it's just uh, hasn't quite hasn't really existed in a stable case uh, for for the startup. So that was really interesting. Um, what uh, what happened at, at Hacker Fleet was. Uh, I was introduced to David Gowdy, who runs uh, Jungle Ventures, and it originally he was introduced to me by um, by Butch Reddy over uh, formerly at, at IDG Ventures in Vietnam, and he had said like, "Hey, this guy needs some development help." And immediately when I got on the phone with David, I said, "I said, David, we're not a dev shop. We aim to build." you know, world-class products, we, we want to build startups. And his reaction was, okay, that's, that's amazing. That's exactly what I need. You know, I, I've tried to build, uh, tools in the past, but, uh, but it's failed because I've, I haven't been able to give it a startups commitment. So, uh, what he, and this is, this is actually, this is the seeds of venture mark. So what he was interested in was he, um, David is, you know, he's managing director of Jungle Ventures. He, uh, which is a um, few hundred million dollar uh, fund in Singapore, uh, investing in seed and Series A. He also is a pretty prolific angel investor himself, and he's, you know, he's phenomenally experienced. He, uh, it, and it, it's a great background for venture capital because he was head of international mergers and acquisitions for Yahoo. Uh, and then, and then from there, you know, moved into venture capital. So he has, he has a really, really great high level perspective just from, um, initially what's, what makes like a, uh, the, you know, a great founder. And then even, you know, what, what is a, how can this startup be acquired? Uh, he's very, very good at sort of like seeing that those, those exit opportunities. Uh, so, so he he had said, well, I have uh, I have trouble keeping track of my angel investments, and so this is you know so he has you know like a a, a lot of personal angel investments, and he, he just wanted a tool that was 
uh, better at managing them. Uh, right now, he managed everything in Excel. And so we started down the path of of building this RAM. And Do we think this, though, is just an individual tool for one person to use, or do you think there's wider use for this? Well, this is this is what we started to discover. Uh, David David was very very passionate about this. He said he tried to build this before, and you know it wasn't something that uh, he could get people to adopt. And it seemed like uh, it, it's one of those um, uh, it's it's a tool for power users, you know, or, or you know for like if you you want to interact with your investments in a certain kind of way. And, um, and so for, for someone like David, this is like fantastic. I mean, he's, he's like extreme passion for this. Uh, but it, but yeah, it did feel, it did feel like this was a tool for, for David rather than for a larger community. And, um, and it was just, you know, he, he referred us to uh, a number of his friends and this actually provided really, really fantastic insight on what investors are doing regionally you know what what kind of like these uh the profile of investors kind of like um very independent uh willing to be kind of like a, a lead investor on deals uh globally oriented so they will invest across uh you know uh, david lives in singapore he invests you know all around the world uh, from australia to uh, the UK to Boston, if if he wants to. So and and so the the insight is kind of like, well, there's there's a lack of tools for folks like this. As and as we talk to more folks within Southeast Asia, we realize that there's there's something like much much larger. There's a much bigger kind of opportunity to capture. And uh, the symptom is that Southeast Asia is a it's a fragmented ecosystem i actually find it michael i find it ironic when people say like hey like uh let's um let's let's go to the ecosystem the, the bangkok ecosystem let's go to the singapore ecosystem let's i i think i think if you look at any of these places throughout southeast asia they more resemble communities uh startup communities rather than ecosystems what, what do you mean though exactly Right. So I don't, I don't disagree with you. I'm just curious well, how you're interpreting that. Right. So uh, an ecosystem, a startup ecosystem, is uh, there's there's been basically a generation of successful startups, and so it means that you can have yet you know inexperienced founders come in that are just have like raw talent, and they but they'll be able to find entrepreneurs and that will and advisors that will nurture them along and investors that will will angel invest that like initial money and uh and and then like there's um also the potential of like soft landing through like aqua hires with more established companies so i mean that there is a system that feeds into itself that kind of nurtures the next generation and when i say that there are communities i i think that there's sort of like pockets of these people but there's not like there's not like a lot of these folks and like a you know there's often not a critical mass of these folks in the way that um uh there is in many many different levels in uh in a, a place like san francisco and san francisco is is like it's not 
just an ecosystem. It's like many ecosystems that you know. Yeah, there are sub there are sub ecosystems there. Sub ecosystems. I mean, you have like, like just if you just look at like the uh, the PayPal mafia that spawned like ecosystems upon ecosystems, and um, uh, and and it will be. I'll have conversations with folks over there that um, fantastically successful, and then they'll be like, "Oh, I, I I've actually I don't know anyone at Apple, you know," and it, it's like. Like a massive <laughs> someone who who's How can like, you well, not know anybody at Apple kind of thing, yeah. Well, you know, like like really really connected, you know, uh, object objectively like fantastically connected. But then there's a there's a whole other side where he just doesn't interact with. Um, but so I think um, so. What the feeling was was that there's an opportunity to actually connect these communities into a a more vibrant ecosystem, and. Um, I do, I do uh, read a bunch of Paul Graham, and I'm inspired by what Y Combinator has done, and uh, and I agree to a large extent that part of like one of the bedrocks of a vibrant entre- you know, startup ecosystem is is the angel investors and the resources that they have available to. Um, connect with entrepreneurs and to, uh, complement, you know, whatever expertise that they have. And so, um, so that, so the takeaways from, um, starting to work with, with, with David to explore his idea and, and then, um, in talking with these folks is that, uh, around Southeast Asia, it feels quite fragmented. It feels emerging and it's emerging in, in, in the sense that there's, uh, angel investment groups are, they're not mature. Entities, they're kind of like a earlier. They're nascent in their formation. You have a lot of for, first-time entrepreneurs, a sprinkling of, of more experienced folks. You have uh, local investors that have made money off of, uh, you know, like successful folks, but but are just starting to be aware of um, the opportunity in technology and what they can do. And so, so it's felt like there's a lot of there's like a massive, massive opportunity. There's growing interest, but there needs to be a bit more uh, structure to um, make people more effective in achieving what they're they're aiming towards. So this this led to uh, VentureMark actually, and what it is is like you have this like I think this is like a common entrepreneurial journey where you well I think good entrepreneurs are looking to solve absolutely the most important problems because if you're not, then you're, I mean, you're irrelevant. So for VentureMark, uh, this meant, you know, we'd been working on this, this prototype. We talked to, uh, you know, a number of investors and we started to understand, we thought, what are the, what are the most important problems? And, and so simplified it to, uh, for startups, they, Raising money is very is very difficult, even when they're good. And for investors, uh, investors as a chunk, it's they 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 want access and to be able to invest in the best opportunities. And so, VentureMark as a as a prototype is initially to help solve that. So for me, like the um, if I'm if I'm intending to build something, I want to iterate fast and to understand what my most important assumptions are. And so what I did is I just posted on Facebook um, any any startups 
I know are are you guys raising money? And then um, at the same time, starting to engage investors and thinking about how can I make um, how can I introduce startups to investors in a way that is uh, more efficient. And so the so our, our very first prototype is actually uh, building uh, a visual executive summary. Uh, so this is this is just. Uh, but this gets back to something you were talking about earlier, right? Yeah. Let, let's let's back up a little bit from the product, which we will talk yeah. about too. But yeah. those two things were trust and credibility. Oh yeah. Right. So yes. how did you build? How do you go build that? Because angel investing is a really unique thing, right? And I'd love to delve deeper into this as well. But because I agree with you, I think it's very nascent. I, I deal with angel investors all the time. Most of them, to be fair, are working in a very immature environment. Um, from their perspective as well, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what how they're meant to behave. Like they know inside their existing businesses, I do real estate. I know how that works. I know how to behave in every meeting. I know the stages of investment. I know where everything should be at any particular time. Yep. But you know, I was speaking to some very very successful business owners here um, in the region, and they said to me, "Look, this is the first time I've ever made an investment like this. I love this space, but what am I supposed to do now?" Yeah. Right, so why? How do you create that credibility and trust from your perspective? Well, I think uh, I think well, what we've done so far is we we go through trusted networks, and um, and I I think I think the in person element is, is extremely important. So what we did uh, so so it's it's not just providing a way for these folks to connect. Uh, it's it's also providing some um, in-person connection around the investment. So, uh, what we started doing uh, last month was we uh, we hosted a dinner in Ho Chi Minh City. I'm sorry, I missed it. <laughs> I'm really sorry, I missed that. I just couldn't do it. But yeah, I know. So please tell me about it. It was it was cool. It was cool. It's, now uh, you're just rubbing it in my face. <laughs> <laughs> no, go for it. Tell but, me. How but so I, I think. I think it's um I think what uh, what the you know what all these these folks really want is like connect with other smart people talk about uh the opportunities learn more and and this is so this is what the uh, venture mark dinners are um are, are evolving into so uh, I'm inviting I'm not inviting everyone I'm inviting people that I think are going to offer good insight and uh, as far as I can tell are pretty active investors and um, inviting them to come in and connect with each other and to talk about deals that are interesting. So I, I think it, and it's one thing that um, I've been, I've been to a number of sort of investor meetups in, in the region, primarily in, in Singapore and Vietnam and one thing that came up was that uh, a lot of these folks want uh, investment groups, but everyone is busy. You know, everyone, a lot of, a lot of these uh, angel investors are, uh, there are, there are successful entrepreneurs, but it means that they're actually running companies also. So they don't have time to actually manage angel investment groups. So we want to be able to provide like a, a piece of that. So that's, that's part of it. Um, is in person. Um, another piece is actually just speaking your mind. Uh, 
people need to become familiar with uh, who you are, what you believe, and then over time that that can build trust. So for VentureMark, we don't think of ourselves as only bringing good startup opportunities. We, we're trying to create content as well that helps to add more transparency into into what's happening. So the very first piece we wrote was a, a piece on uh, artificial intelligence in Vietnam. And uh, uh, we, we haven't yet surfaced this stuff. That will, that will be coming soon. But uh, our idea here is that um, – and this, this actually it gets uh, it gets gets a bit d- deeper, but we we want to uh, create a personalized experience around investing, and so uh, for us that means that we are sending content. Um, you know, initially it's fraud, but we're sending content to investors, and we're also sending startups we think that they're interested in, and then we're using the data on the interaction to better inform. Um, a more personalized experience. Um, so for us, you know, to go back to your question on trust, it's uh, there's really three main things. Um, one is is thought leadership. Another is uh, going through trusted networks, trying to extend those, and then the the third is is actually like in person meetings. Um, so all all these elements, I think, helps to contribute to uh, bridging that gap. So how do you get people to come to these meetings, right? I pre- I'm presuming that David was there, so that David probably provides some gravitas, and even if he wasn't there, his introductions probably help. But after that, right, that's just one level. Right. How do you continue it? How do you move it out of Vietnam into the rest of the region, into the rest of the world, really? Because I think this is a global problem. There are very famous and successful angel investors everywhere in the world, mm-hmm. and yet there's still no unifying technology you know people talk about angel lists but even that has its own issues which i'm happy to discuss but there's no yeah. real unifying technology if you're an angel investor in san francisco and you want to invest in the best startups in manila you you have no idea like you just have no idea and you have no visibility frankly mm-hmm. so how do you how do you fix that so uh, um yeah so I, I think i think we are making some progress i um how we a specific question was how do how do we get investors from other places? Um, it, it is hard work. We the focus that I'm my focus is on adding value, and um, and it, it is you know I'm we are building the platform gradually. So if, you know we actually we have um, the number of investors on the platform have been growing um, pretty steadily. So it's it's be, it's been growing between. Uh, uh, 20 and 30 percent per week uh, since mid-August, um, and uh, so we, we we have a number of investors on board. We we found that there's just like lots of interest uh, to because there's there's not a lot being provided. Uh, so uh, you know, um, uh, so part of it. So I, I guess I don't know if I'm sidestepping the question, but I think that um, our, our strategy right now. Is just to um, go through uh, referrals and go through word of mouth, and um, and so we're we're growing by um, the people that are already in the network, and then um, and then also we're growing by having uh, through like thought leadership. Um, I 
can say some other stuff that we've we've done. Uh, can, before you, before you do that, can I ask you this? How do you protect? And you and I have spoken about this offline, but I want to sort of spread this message: is how do you protect against what I call? I, I think I've coined this phrase. What I like to call investor tourism. Do you know? Hmm. So for every a hundred people that go to Disneyland, only two of them ride the rides. Do you know what I mean? What kind of thing? So how do you stop people from joining VentureMark, getting in, even if they're recommended by friends, and just not doing anything or even in reverse adding value, right? Because if there's a community or an ecosystem getting built, everybody should be a value add as opposed to a value drag, right? Oh, yeah. Well, this is – wow, this is this may be the most important point that I, I didn't mention. Uh, VentureMark is – I've talked about it in terms of investor and, and startup but we, our aim is actually not for us to just have all these investors. It's for us to have uh, to power investment syndicates. So, uh, so for us, we want for uh, investors, you know, the lead active investors to go on board VentureMark and use it as a way to uh, screen who their co-investors are on different deals. Uh, so, we, you know, we would love for there to be a syndicate powered by uh, Michael Weiss and that's focused in, you know, like cryptocurrency. And we're providing the infrastructure for you to run this sort of um, micro fund, uh, then also providing uh, added value to you uh, uh, in terms of um, – you know, not not just like the, the infrastructure, but also also in terms of um, you have access to the network that we've provided um, for, for additional capital. So so for us, like um, yeah, that's like investment tourism is uh, is a problem when you get down to like how people are engaged, and and for us, we actually we keep track of engagement and we keep track of like how many people are interested in deals and as we progress we'll be keeping track of um what percentage of our users are actually engaged in investing but we also want to offload it to uh syndicates and have the syndicates be almost like a um a a marketplace in themselves where they are uh contributing to like they are they are filling the void of like these um, investment groups and where the leads can carefully uh, screen uh, those folks. Um, so, so for us, we, you know, we, we do want there to be like a process where uh, serious investors are, are validated on a syndicate by syndicate basis. And will you publish their performance? Like, I hadn't thought about any of this at all actually before, but <laughs> would you publish their performance as well? Do you know what I mean? To make sure that, the syndicate leaders themselves are actually doing what they say they're going to do. And the, and that because this this in this way you'll get a big concentration of capital, right? In other words, if I make some investments in crypto and they pay off, you know, if I get a 5x return over a 2-year period of time or a 3-year period of time, yeah. um other people are going to want to invest with me. Mm-hmm. Right? So, yeah, so and how do you verify like I'm just really curious how you put all those cuz remember you get back to the same thing, it's the trust and credibility, right? Yeah. Um, so we, we do want, um, we do want to do that. I mean, we, you know, to be fair, we, uh, we've, we've heard some varying things around, uh, investor pri- 
privacy yep. and 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 uh, confidentiality. And so, uh, how we're looking at it right now is to have the the people that are leading syndicates. We 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 expect that they want more visibility. So we actually want to be able to publish that track record and allow them to develop brand and trust. Or not? I mean, they oftentimes these folks already have credibility. It's just that. Um, you may have credibility in like Singapore or in Indonesia, but maybe there's folks in Vietnam that have just never heard of you before. So we we want to connect the data there. Um, but for the investors that are in the syndicate, uh, we feel like it's important to have um, privacy. Yeah, it's a really fine balance, right? Like in other words, so a company named e-commerce, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of them, just announced a $65 million raise from which is led by KKR, right? Yep. Um, it's probably one of the largest Series Bs in Southeast Asian history, which follows at the time one of the largest Series A raises, which I was involved in. And, you know, everybody in Thailand and even in Singapore knows that we were involved in that raise and in the, at the beginning of those companies and even our shareholder in that. But nobody in Vietnam would know that. Right. Nobody. And right. it's weird, right? Because creating that, I, I can. I could go into any sort of place in Singapore and in Thailand and people will listen. And yet in Vietnam, I'm, I'm just not there yet, right? And I think yep. that's what Ven- one of the things that VentureMark is trying to solve, I think. Mm-hmm. Not the only thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's right because you look at what what is a, what does a fragmented ecosystem look like? There's no visibility. None. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, so there's – for us, it's an interesting opportunity because we we see these gaps in all these different areas around transparency, uh, trust, around um, and then and then even you know just like like making networks uh, you know uh, more more effective. Um, so so for us, we're we're like really really we're really really excited about this. And I can tell you when I was uh, I recently was in. Um, made a trip back to San Francisco and was talking to some folks about this. Right. There, there are investors. Um, there's an investor I, t- I talked to who um, just closing on like a, a $50 million fund. And he was saying that, okay, well, I'm based in San Francisco. Uh, we're making a portion of our investments here. We are international and we don't have an effective Asia. Um, a, we don't have an effective Asia penetration. Like right. we, they know nothing basically is what they're telling you. Yeah, he's like, so can I, can you, can I co-invest with with you guys on, or or through through VentureMark on the deals that you think are interesting, and we're I'm actually getting this more and more where uh, these folks from other places, as there's increasing interest uh, in this region, they're they're looking for partners. Right. I and, mean, I I see this a lot as well. It's a, it's an interesting concept though, right? But the the other question is if they want to co-invest with venture mark like is that even a possibility in the sense that will venture mark itself make investments so so what uh at some point it, it's it's possible uh for right now we're focused on empowering the um you know like the lead investors and and these syndicate groups like that's that's number one i i mean for me for me i'm, I'm focused on creating kind of like the most scalable platform and so it's providing, it's providing. Um, if we're say if we're helping out with due diligence, we're we're trying to do it in a way where we're connecting syndicate groups with just the right expertise for them to 
get like a you know a quick understanding of of how viable a startup opportunity is um, doing it that way rather than doing all due diligence ourselves uh, right now to be fair we're uh, we're doing just like lots of manual work we're we're going above and beyond to make sure that uh, investors as well as startups on our platform are of the highest quality possible right. so we're actually not at the moment we're not interested in scaling to the biggest number we we're just focused on like very very high quality right um but moving forward we i i think of what we're doing is is to empower um more than more than anything else yeah i mean look you and i've talked about this before too right i'd rather have a hundred people that absolutely love everything that i do than a million people that are kind of mildly interested yeah absolutely absolutely like right now my my apps my top top focus is just like um, is, is, is just being better and better to investors, you know, like, uh, and, and so for us, it's like, yes, over time it's, it means more personalization, but then like on a more granular basis, it's just like, what are common problems that we see as, as folks are, um, doing due diligence as, uh, there's, there's a lot of folks that we're, we've been talking to that they're already arranging syndicates. And for us, it's like, okay, well, how can we, um, add to your existing process as you are connecting invest your investor network with opportunities. Can we provide a way to organize that better and surfacing deals? And, and so just really like add value there. Yeah. So here's one of the things that I'm thinking, right? And that is yep. if, if a typical, and there's a little bit of an equivalency here, right? So I'm, I'm curious about your opinion. If there's a typical investment cycle fund for, a normal, sorry, venture capital fund, right? If it's seven years, yeah. somewhere between five and seven years. Yeah. Um, and if the ecosystem in Southeast Asia is kind of, let's just call it starting at the end of 2011, maybe the beginning of 2012, where people just really started paying attention, we're kind of five years in, maybe five and a half, right? Yeah. And I agree with you. I think one of the things that makes, you know, turns a community into an ecosystem is, particularly in startups, is, you know, exits and then, and not for the glory of it, but more for the paying back into the ecosystem. Like, okay, I just succeeded. I just got some money out of this business. Now I want to put it back in and start seeding other investors that were in the same situation that I was in when I was starting and nobody would help me fund my stuff because funding is one of the biggest obstacles to building a business. Yeah. Not not the only one for sure. And I kind of feel like we're almost there. So another year or so, and we should have a series of good outcomes you know, call it what you will. I don't think you're going to see a lot of IPOs in Southeast Asia only because the stock markets here aren't really set up for them. Right. Um, in Japan, you'll see what I'll call mini IPOs only because, you know, the mother's, you know, ex stock exchange on the TSC kind of allows people to IPO. It's more like a funding exercise rather than a going public like you would think on the NASDAQ, right? Oh. Um But in that sense, like you're probably building this technology and trying to make the communities into ecosystems at just the right time it seems like to me is what i'm saying because we're almost at that point where the maturity is going to happen organically as opposed to forced yeah yeah and yeah absolutely and i can tell you like uh i was just thinking about this this morning like it's um my my goal with venture mark is just to uh it's to build the best platform possible so um a year a few years from now um We'll still be here uh, doing more and more to to connect the ecosystem. 
and we have like, you know, we have a lot of really, really interesting ideas, but it, it's like, um, right now it's really about, um, it's, it's really actually focusing and then focusing even more. So even, um, I can say like, uh, so we've, we've had, um, syndicates that have been interested in, um, jumping on board and then also, you know, startups as well as individual investors, uh, from, you know, like Japan, uh, Indonesia, of course, like, like Vietnam and Singapore. And, right. Um, and, uh, but, but for us, it's, uh, we know that we will succeed by, um, providing just a very, very superior value to a, you know, a better defined group of, of investors. So, um, so for us, it's, it's, we're actually, uh, we're actually trying to be quite restrictive on, um, the types of startups that we are catering to initially, um, as well as the, 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 the types of investors. Yeah. I mean, it gets back to what we were saying earlier, right? You'd rather have just the highest quality as opposed to the most quantity, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Interesting. So when's your next dinner going to be? So, uh, so the next, this is actually, uh, <laughs> it, it may be, it may be the, uh, the first week of December. Um, what, what we've, um, what, what I'm starting to do actually is, is arrange the dinners around like really, really exciting startups. Uh, because I think that, that it's kind of like a natural conversation piece. Um, and if there's like a really good founder, then it, it can be a good experience. So, um, Tentatively, we have one that's happening. Uh, it's going to be like either December first or second. Where's so it? Where's, this, where's it meant to be? <laughs> so, um, and we we may so first or second would be in Ho Chi Minh, and then uh, I'm thinking about another one in uh, in Singapore. That's uh, that's also in, in December, but that, that's uh, to be to be determined. Sweet, because I'm in I'm in Singapore from November 29th until December 2nd. So can you make it like December 3rd? I'm just saying, <laughs> not that I'm self-centered <laughs> or only self-interested. I'll see. I'll see what I can do. Yeah. Now the the dinners are great. Um, they are. I'm sure. I'm yeah. Sure. It's you know. It's it's just it's it's really nice to talk with folks regionally that are they're doing good stuff and just you know in in uh in the community. Yeah. Look, so, I think I think I think this is a perfect way to end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do really appreciate your time. There's a lot more ground to cover, but maybe we could just cover it in pieces as opposed to covering it all at once. Yeah, for sure. That sounds, sounds good. Okay, Marcus. Look, I really appreciate your time and I am sure this is not the last time we'll do this. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.